No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today, we will return to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Numbers as we consider the various vows men and women make to the Lord and what to do about them. We hope you'll join us now as Pastor Daryl continues in Numbers chapter 30 on Simply the Bible. Back in Leviticus 27, we covered the making of vows. There, we pointed out that God places a high degree of importance on the vows we make. Therefore, as King Solomon wisely warned in Ecclesiastes 5.5, it is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. In Numbers 30, God gives instructions for vows that men and women may make to the Lord and their keeping or overruling of those vows. We pick it up in Numbers chapter 30. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. It is clear from the outset that God establishes a divine order. This is found in the Godhead and in government, and in the home. Where there's no order, there is anarchy and chaos. Where there is no clear chain of command, there is confusion, and God is not the author of confusion. Therefore, this command begins with God and is given to Moses, who in turn gives it to the leaders of the tribes of Israel, and they would pass it on to the individual households. The commandment, was simple for a man. If you made a vow to the Lord, then keep it. God is very serious about a person keeping his word. Why? Because God is very serious about keeping his own word. And he wants us to be like him. God didn't force the children of Israel to make any vows. They were completely voluntary. But if a person made a vow to the Lord, then God expected him to keep it. As far as making vows today, I agree with Solomon that it is better not to make a vow than to make it and break it. In fact, I would go one step further because I believe it is best not to make vows. I do believe in setting goals because they give us something to aim for. But I avoid making vows, especially before the Lord, because I know the weakness of my own flesh in keeping them. I also avoid making or seeking pledges. What is a pledge but a vow? Now, I am no fundraiser, but recently we set our mind to paying off our church property. We presented the goal to our congregation, but we refused to elicit any pledges. We simply announced dates that we would receive a collection. The result? We paid off our property in two years. Why did we do it this way? because we didn't want to obligate our people into making pledges that they couldn't keep and then later feeling guilty for their failure. Now, some people may make vows because they find that it increases their level of commitment. That's fine. Just know that God will hold you responsible for the vows that you make. Verse 3, 
Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. Now, the obligation to keep a vow was different for a young woman who is still living in her father's house. God held the father responsible as the head of the home. His daughter, in her excitement, could make a rash commitment that would affect the entire household. God gave the father veto power for such vows. The one condition of the young woman being released from her vow was that her father had to overrule her on the same day that he heard it. He couldn't think it over for a few days and then make his decision. Overruling his daughter's vow might not make him popular with his daughter, but it could save her and the entire household from a rash and foolish vow that everyone would later regret. This was a safety net for the young woman in that she could be released from her vow and be innocent before the Lord. All her father had to do was to veto her vow on the same day that he heard it, and none of her vows or agreements would stand. Verse 6, If indeed she takes a husband, while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself, and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears, then her vows shall stand. And her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow, which she took, and what she uttered with her lips, by which she bound herself. And the Lord will release her. Where it says, if indeed she takes a husband, the Hebrew word that is used means to be betrothed. The betrothal was a binding engagement lasting one year before the wedding ceremony. In being betrothed to her husband, the young woman's headship or covering transferred from her father to her husband. Now it was the husband's responsibility to overrule his wife's vow on the day that he hears it, if he did not agree with it. If he said nothing, perhaps to appease her, then her vow would stand and she would have to keep all her commitments. But if her husband did veto the vow, then the Lord would release her from anything rash that she spoke with her lips. I could see that this would be especially helpful if a vacuum salesman had come by that afternoon and successfully made a sale. Verse 9, Also, any vow of a widow or a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. Now, a widow or divorced woman was treated the same under the law as a man concerning making and keeping vows. Therefore, you can't say that God was being chauvinistic. It was simply a matter of the covering. A young woman had the covering of her father. A betrothed or married woman had the covering of her husband. But a widow or divorced woman had no such covering. 
Therefore, she was responsible before the Lord to keep the vows that she made. Verse 10, if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void and the Lord will release her. So suppose the woman made a vow while her husband was still alive. He heard it, but said nothing to overrule it. Then he died. Even though she was now a widow and released from the marriage, she wasn't released from the vow she made while her husband was still alive. However, if her husband had overruled it on the day that he heard it, then she would be released from the vow that she had made. Verse 13. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it or her husband may make it void. Now, if her husband makes no response, whatever to her from day to day, then he confirms all her vows or all the agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he made no response to her on the day that he heard them. But if he does make them void after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife and between a father and his daughter in her youth in her father's house. Moses summarized the general principle. God held the husband or father responsible for the vows of his wife or daughter that he allowed or disallowed. If he overruled a vow, then he would bear her guilt. Now, these laws concerning vows were clearly part of the Old Covenant, but do they have any application for us? I believe that they do. All these things are given to us for our example. First, as I've already mentioned, God considers the promises we make to be very important, especially those solemn vows we make before Him. Think of the vows we make on our wedding day. We may forget what we've said, but God never forgets. In this way, we are all like the man, the widow, or the divorced woman concerning the vows that we make. God holds us responsible to do what we say. But there is another picture here that is quite beautiful. Because the church is the bride of Christ, he is our covering. We tend to make rash commitments with our lips. I know that on numerous occasions I have overcommitted myself so that I'm unable to follow through on everything I said I would do. We have someone in heaven who is our intercessor and advocate. As the Apostle John wrote in his first letter, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In this way, we are all like the young woman who is betrothed to her husband. Christ is our covering. It is best for us not to sin with our lips by making rash commitments, but if we fail then we have an advocate in heaven, our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, who bore our guilt and who stands in our defense. His blood paid the price of our failed promises. 
and his righteousness stands in place of our unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I am so thankful that he is my covering. I'm so grateful for the many times when I have wanted something, but Christ in his wisdom and sovereign grace vetoed my desire. Or those times when I've spoken foolishly, but the Lord had my back. Consider Peter. He made a rash commitment. When Christ said that all his disciples would desert him, Peter said, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. But of course, Peter not only deserted Christ, but also denied him three times. Jesus knew he would do this and told him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus understood Peter's weakness and was looking out for him. He'll do the same for you. He's got you covered. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. To listen to previous episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our iTunes podcast. Tomorrow, we will see how God gives instructions to take vengeance on the Midianites because they led the children of Israel to commit sexual immorality and idolatry at the mountain of Peor. We hope you'll join us as we continue through the book of Numbers on Simply the Bible.